the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. Coming up, a deep dive into immigration with Dan Stein, the president of FAIR, the Federation for American Immigration Reform. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. Dan Stein is our guest. He is the president of the Federation for American Immigration Reform. Dan, we're at a situation in in the United States where it seems like, and, and I guess it's been this way for a while. You correct me if I'm wrong. It just seems like nobody cares. It's It feels like there are no immigration rules or laws, except for those that apply to, you know, professionals who maybe have overstayed a visa or a student visa those are the people that that you hear about being sent home, and yet the southern border appears to be as porous, if not you know as more porous maybe than it's ever been. How do you see the overall immigration scenario in the United States right now? Thank you for having me, Michelle. This is a dire national crisis. Never in the history of the United States have we seen our borders entirely collapse, and it's a self-inflicted head wound thanks to Joe Biden, who came into office seeing a whole bunch of policies that were working, seeing very specific things put in place by the Trump administration, and then systematically over 45 days dismantling every aspect of them, producing a crisis, which to this day he continues to deny even exists. There is no country in the history of the world, going back before ancient Rome, that has survived the systemic collapse of its national borders. Ronald Reagan said, the test of sovereignty is control of your borders. You cannot live a society. You cannot persist as a society. You can't leverage your resources. You can't deliver services. You can't provide proper education. You can't protect your citizens. You can't have a flourishing nation without proper border security. And it is gone and maybe gone forever, which apparently is something that the Biden administration would like to see, because there is simply no longer any way to explain the failure of this president to pivot, to visit that border, to see what's going on, to deliver to Congress a series of recommendations that would close loopholes, that would stop the cartels close, that would shut off the fentanyl, that would save American lives. All he's talking about is amnesty, more voters for Democrats, Reward law breaking. 
Look, respect for law is a cornerstone of American citizenship, Michelle. Why do so many millions of people, billions of people, want to come to this country? Because they believe in the U.S. it's different. Because they believe that here you don't have to do the bribe to get justice. That here you actually can expect equal justice under law. That you can expect a system that delivers due process and adequate services and opportunities to live the American dream. Well, in America, cheaters are not supposed to jump the head of the line. But in immigration policy, the only people who have trouble are the people who are trying to play by the rules. If you don't play by yeah, the rules, it, 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 you jump to the head of the line. That is un-American. It, well, it's certainly unfair and no pun intended. But why do you suppose we got to this point where one side of the aisle, it appears, seems to say, you know, look, let everybody in. We don't need borders. People should be allowed to come in. And the other side is saying, we believe in immigration. We just want to see some systems in place, some process where, as you put it, you know, the people who want to play by the rules are at the front of the line and the people who aren't playing the, by the rules go to the back of the line. And and furthermore, you know, let's keep the, the, the criminals and some of these terrorists that we're seeing get across have a way to sift those people out. It, I know it's never going to be perfect. Nothing is. But right now it's not even good. Where? Why did we as a society become divided on this topic? Oh, that's actually an interesting question. Of course, keep in mind that over the last 50 years or so, the global population has increased by billions of people. Uh, the 90% of whom have everything to gain and nothing to lose by trying to move to a handful of countries, including the United States. And the United States has set up a federal system of states and a federal government. And the states themselves provide services, but don't enforce immigration law in general. The federal government does. And there's this netherworld between state and federal sovereignty where advocates on the other side chipped away at the cooperative agreements that existed between the states and the federal government to ensure lawful status when an alien applied for benefits. This went on from the 1970s forward. You then had the aging baby boomers and the Democrats lo losing a lot of their unionized labor force after the result of the trade agreements that were signed between the late 80s and early 90s and shipped all of our industrial manufacturing overseas. So George Meany is gone. The AFL-CIO is virtually non-existent. Democrats now rely on public employee unions and this Byzantine mosaic of identity politics where they identified emerging minorities as likely voting populations to support, prop up these elites who are in the major coastal areas in the future. As we went from the Obama administration through the Trump years and then now to Biden, we have seen their ideology shift to the point where they refuse to allow any state and local cooperation. You will not control immigration unless there is state and local cooperation. Now, you also have this collapse in interior enforcement. You can't simply control illegal immigration any more than you can drug control, drug abuse, or drug importation solely at the border. You have to have interior enforcement. You have to increase the probability to an alien that if you don't play by the rules, you don't get to play the game. And at the same time, we're a Western-style democracy with procedural due process that they've engrafted onto the immigration system that means instead of getting a yay or nay at the border on whether you're eligible to admit, 
the immigration bar has laid in all of this due process that takes years and years through an immigration court system. And as a result, aliens are encouraged to lie about asylum claims, get admitted, and then with basically with the permission of the Biden administration, get into the country for years and have cartels pay to get them in to take advantage of what we are trying to have, which is supposed to be a fair and humane system to hear claims. But our generosity and our Western traditions of due process are being used against us in a way that taxpayers are supposed to be foot in the bill, not only to provide all the process, but then go chase them down years later when they don't show up for hearings. And then, they, and then the Democrats turn around, mostly Democrats, but not all, push amnesty, which, of course, if you were to amnesty 11 million illegal aliens, they would want to bring all their relatives. Not only that, it would alter completely the political dynamics between the two parties, right? I mean, you think about How the so? battle over the... How so? This, well, it changes the number of registered Democrats and Republicans, and it would skew very heavily Democrats. That's why Democrats are all in on amnesty. Now, the big... the to move to, the, to 2022, the most exciting development here is that the Hispanic voting bloc is demonstrating something professional his, uh, Democrat consultants did not anticipate, which is they assumed that Hispanic voters being on balance more poorly educated than other groups would, 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 would form an adherence to the Democratic Party that African-Americans have. And apparently that's not going to be the case. And that's, this is probably the most exciting political development that's happened in the last 30 years is to see the, the emerging political independence of the Hispanic voting community. And this is where the model that the Democrats have adopted politically, where they basically oppose all enforcement, refuse to secure the borders, don't want any interior enforcement cooperation, nobody gets removed, basically is based on the idea that Hispanic voters will simply be reflexively party loyalists like African-Americans. And that does not, as you know, but you have to be what's that you've, you've got to be a citizen of this country in order to vote. Correct. Theoretically. Well, that isn't true. And and any level, except at the federal level, arguably states can enfranchise non-citizens if they want to. Remember that this is, goes back to the federal system we have. Remember, st- before the Civil War, states determined whether you were eligible to be a U.S. citizen. The 14th Amendment said states cannot deny citizenship on the basis of, in this, you know, race or if you were a former slave. And so the purpose of the 14th Amendment was to prevent states from denying citizenship to former slaves. But states retain vital birth and death records. We don't have a national citizenship document. And states have the liberty, as we saw in the last election, to change voter eligibility and voting procedures wantonly, usually by the state legislature. But as we saw in 2020, apparently by anybody who wants to, who's in a position to do it, right? Because that was what all the legal challenges were. There are cities, Tacoma County, Tacoma Park, Maryland, and others in Montgomery County, Maryland, New York City tried to. The reason New York City could not enfranchise non-citizens to vote in municipal elections had to do with the New York State Constitution, not the federal constitution. And there is actually Supreme Court dicta suggesting that at the federal level, a state could enfranchise illegal aliens to vote if it wanted to, and that would be constitutional under the federal constitution, probably not under any state constitution. As it stands now in most states, well, in all states, you have to be a citizen to vote in a federal congressional or presidential election. That is not the case for local and municipal elections. So citizenship, we assume, 
is an office holder in a democracy and has that responsibility and sole responsibility to vote. But that isn't necessarily true. And the Democrats are trying to push more and more this idea that, that non-citizens get everything, including the right to vote. All right. When we come back with Dan Stein of FAIR, the Federation for American Immigration Reform, we're going to talk about cartels. But we're also going to talk about the politics of all of this and whether or not FAIR, again, I, I feel like I need to say all the words, Dan, because there are other organizations with the same um, the same initials, if you will. And so this is the Federation for American Immigration Reform. President of that organization is Dan Stein. He's our guest. We come back. We'll talk about cartels and also the politics or non-politics of this. I'll, I'll explain that after this. All right, Dan, your your organization states very clearly you do not support political parties, campaigns. <clears throat> How accurate is that? Yeah, it's true. I mean, we're, we're a nonpartisan organization. We're 501c3. We can't endorse candidates, but we can talk about them. <laughs> okay, okay. That's why I'm interested, because you, you're talking about, you know, this sort of boon for Republicans with a lot of the Hispanic voters trending more conservative. And yet I know you are not uh, a, a, an organization that can that will throw its money behind a political side or the other. But it does. This is a divisive issue, and it does seem to definitely fall upon party lines. What I think concerns me more than anything about what's developed at the border is not just this influx, but the way that the cartels are using this against us in the way that they're importing or exporting to us uh, fentanyl and other drugs, and not to mention human trafficking. And we've had a lot of death and misery experienced down there at the border by people trying to come to the United States. This is not the way this should be. Just how would the United States tackle this problem of cartels? How much involvement do we need from the Mexican government and the other South American governments to to tackle it? And are they on board? (laughs) Well, (laughs) Uh, there's corruption all over Latin America and there's all the corruption all over. I mean, money is huge involved here. This, this is a huge, big business yeah. and cartels are so big in some of these countries that they distort and corrupt the governments themselves. In fact, there is no way to know, but there obviously has to be corruption happening on our side as well. How could there not be? But I mean, at a, at a most basic level, you can see corruption with the Biden administration itself, in that they are, in a sense, these cartels don't operate in a vacuum. They're operating with complicity of elements of this administration and the federal government. Basically, they are unwitting or witting co-conspirators in the process of smuggling and trafficking aliens, and they know full well they are, because they're, they're allowing the aliens to cross the border, congregate, and then distract the border patrol, during which time they are processing all these people and then busing or flying them in around the country, essentially completing the mission that they paid these these people, paid the smuggling operations to accomplish. At the same time, when those border agents are congregating to do the processing around the hundred or so who cross the border any given hour, that's when the major transshippers of these, you know, millions and millions of fentanyl pills are moving their cargo. So it's an orchestrated operation. 
between the cartels moving the people who then get distracted. And, they, and of course, their intelligence tells them where the border agents are and the smuggling of trafficking pills across the border. And every state is now a border state because these fentanyl pills that are made in China are killing Americans all over the country, right? And you ask yeah. yourself, how many times has the president addressed this issue? How many times has Kamala Harris, the borders are, right? Has she addressed the issue? Zero. Um, AMLO, president of Mexico, is up here talking to Biden after boycotting the Biden administration summit the other week and came here and gave Biden a big lecture about how he needed to bring in more foreign workers to control inflation. That means reducing labor costs. Well, he's obviously in cahoots with and, and, and he's is admitted. I mean, there's been so much corruption in Mexico for so long. I mean, it's almost certain parts, certain of the elements of the northern border region are completely under cartel control. Colombia, Peru, Peru, you know, cocaine manufacturing, cocoa manufacturing, cocoa production. And now we see China um, buying up more property, using transshipment points to move people across. We have a problem with Mideast terrorist organizations setting up cells in, in, in Central America, setting up cells in this country. I mean, our, our southern border is porous. It's a threat to internet for international terrorism, drug control, and illegal immigration. So why should this be? Well, money talks. This is There's a lot of money, hundreds of millions of dollars, Every year, every month to be made, moving these people in. Like, like I say, there are employers who are co-conspirators as well, who put a lot of money into the pockets of Congress people. I mean, I, I hate to, to single out John Cornyn, but he seems all concerned about the border. But when you talk, if you look back over the last 20 years of him as a legislator, he has not really stepped up to initiate the kind of things that need to be done in the interior to better control immigration. This would include employer sanctions, machine-readable work documents, be able to verify your eligibility to work in this country, empowering the Border Patrol to once again do open field searches among agricultural communities within 100 miles of the border, and again, state and local cooperation with federal authorities. The Trump administration initiated agreements, they call them Section 287G agreements, where local officials check the status of aliens who commit crime and then put them in removal proceedings after they've served their sentence. In state after state, we've seen the Democrats abolish these agreements. The Biden administration opposes them. They're turning the whole country into a sanctuary. It's no wonder you have millions and millions of aliens running across our border. If you, if you set it up so that it's impossible for the Border Patrol not only to do its job, but ask them to go and put themselves in harm's way every day on a yeah, quixotic yeah. mission that yeah. can't possibly succeed. This is a tremendous betrayal uh, to the men and women in green who helped defend our borders. And, and that's part of why you saw the election outcome with this Flores woman in Texas winning a district in an area that hadn't been carried by Republicans since Flores, Ulysses yeah. S. Grant. Okay, I mean, that's how phenomenal yeah, it's, it's, the shift is. So, it's, I mean, it's, it's a remarkable... It's a remarkable development, and we'll see if that if there's a contagion of that kind of thing, not only in Texas but in other states because of this. Your what is your reaction when you hear uh, these mayors, and specifically in New York City and Washington D.C., say that you know we can't, we don't have enough room in our homeless shelters for all of these immigrants who are undocumented? you know, and they're starting to complain about this. How does, what does that do to your sort of frame of mind as you look at this problem? Well, 
ever since Kristen Gillibrand, who was a strong ally of FAIRS when she was a New York, upstate New York congresswoman, was appointed to take Hillary Clinton's Senate seat, we've seen this pattern in the Democratic Party. If you're a local official, Eric Adams, Muriel Bowser, and you stand up and say, what the heck's going on? We got to stop this. If you're a senior official at the NAACP or you're any kind of a politician or aspiring one now in the Democratic Party, and you take a position of immigration control instead of simply saying we need more federal money, which is, I'm sure, what Adams and Bowser will say or are saying, then you are annihilated in the next primary. There is simply no space any longer within the Democratic Party for a discussion of the importance of immigration control. If this was not the case, Michelle, throughout all of the 20th century, Sam Gompers Forward, the AFL-CIO, organized labor, it was always axiomatic as a part of the Democratic Party. Immigration control was important to improve the bargaining leverage of the American worker, the unionized American worker. Cesar Chavez was opposed to illegal immigration. In the 1980s, we saw Democrats strong proponents of interior enforcement, getting rid of criminal aliens and employer sanctions. All this stuff changed between the Clinton administration and the Obama administration. And of course, 9-11 intervened and they got very frustrated during 9-11. And that's when they essentially abandoned immigration control. It started during Obama, seriously. They picked up again with Biden where Obama left off in 2012. And now the house is coming apart. I mean, it is almost impossible to overstate the systemic national crisis that is emerging. It doesn't matter whether it's healthcare, housing, congestion, traffic, education, no country can deliver what we consider first world services to the American people, unless you know how many people are going to be using those services in the future. If you don't control your borders, you cannot tell how many schools to build, how many lanes to add to this interstate highway or toll lanes, or how many housing units you will need to develop within a given jurisdiction. When the housing stock gets overcrowded, Your high-value taxpayers flee the system because the schools are going down the drain, and it all collapses, and we see that now in these major cities and all over California. And and this is going to be the future of the country unless we stop this now. And the thing is, Michelle, FAIR has been arguing. We're the first FAIR, by the way, okay? And we were were the only FAIR before (laughs) Fairness and Accuracy Reporting. So, I mean, we we can't copyright a name like FAIR, but we have a wonderful trademark. Anyway point is, we have been making these recommendations for decades. And Donald Trump's administration put in many of those that we'd recommended. They were making a difference. Ronald Reagan did. Uh, George W., those guys, they always said, look, there's the, the inbox, the outbox, and the too hard box. They were, there's so much corporate money pushing immigration as a labor cost control measure. So my question is, why are they talking a labor shortage with all these people pouring across the border? And they claim, well, you know, there's help wanted signs, you know, outside these businesses, but these businesses don't pay enough to live on. You know, Michelle, if American, young American professionals want to move to Mexico City to work remote because the housing costs are so much cheaper down there, they've been talking about this the last couple of days. What are all Mm -hmm. these people who are illiterate in any language with a fifth grade education going to do who are pouring across the border? How are they going to survive in America? It's it's all of these are questions and it, 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 it there's so much to this issue that we couldn't possibly cover it all in one podcast. But when we come back, I want to talk to you about if there is any hope or optimism left in you about this topic. We'll continue right after this. 
Uh, the numbers in the economy are not all good, and we're feeling it on so many levels. You go to the gas pump and you look at the total and you think, what are we doing here? Inflation is the worst it's been in 40 years. We've got a war between Russia and Ukraine that's affecting everything. There's so much instability in the markets, and the markets don't respond well to that, but there's good news. Gold is on the rise, and therefore you have options. Gold prices are rising because investors are turning to gold for protection. Gold provides a hedge against inflation and protects against a weakening dollar. Legacy precious metals comes in here because they're the only ones I trust when investing in gold and silver. Legacy precious metals will give you an investment that'll protect your wealth and your retirement. You should just call and get your questions asked. Call them today. You want to be proactive while there's still time. Remember 2008? People who invested in gold saw their investments rise while others lost their retirements. Legacy Precious Metals can advise you on all of your options for investing in gold and silver. You can speak to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals at 866-528-1903, 866-528-1903, or download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. All right, Dan, um, you keep fighting, uh, you know, you, you continue to make your arguments and in spite of what we see before our very eyes and what we're all feeling and experiencing in terms of this influx of humanity, we, we would like a certain amount of immigration, right? The country needs it. You've, you've got you've to replace people, and the birth rate in this country isn't high enough to replace people. You, we would like, we would want excellent citizens to come from other places to, that want to love America and, and live within its laws. What gives you any kind of hope or optimism that the toothpaste isn't completely out of the tube, that there is a way to, to make this a, a complete, compassionate yet, you know, uh, organized system. Well, I think we all love the story of immigration, but we love America more. And unlimited immigration and, and a love for America are simply not compatible entities, and they never have been, right? The point is, it's, this is not 1805. This is not an unbridled wilderness we're trying to, where we're trying to settle land as against contending colonial powers like France, Spain, or Russia, or Sweden, or what have you. I mean, this is a developed country that has 400 years of history right now, and we, we're essentially developed, right, to the extent we need more people through foreign immigration, which is, again, a speculative thing, and then you can come down to the question of who they ought to be. They should be people who can contribute to this country, who can expand our productive potential, proprietary knowledge, extraordinary ability, artistic merit, whatever you, and immediate relatives, right? That can fill up any reasonable number you would ask for. And there's also refugees around the world, so we would theoretically need some amount of our fair share, okay? The asylum system, the reason why I'm optimistic, though, what is exciting about the Hispanic voting population isn't necessarily that they're voting Republican per se. It's that they're demonstrating an independence of mind and spirit to make judgment as citizens about the actual merits of the issue. 
It is the extraordinary American mind and its dynamism and the fact that this country, having faced great challenges before in its history, the Civil War, the Second World War, the first, and overcome those challenges that give us the optimism that the American people can rise to the challenge to reconcile the fact that, you know, many people more want to come here than we could possibly ever accommodate. Right. And we have to right. be a mature enough nation to know that we have the right through our Congress to decide who and how many get to come, not foreign despots, dictators or others. So keep in mind that if you flood the economy with foreign workers, they demand housing, which bids up the cost of housing. Why are people not having children? The cost of, have, of housing is so high. So it's kind of a catch-22. These things are all interrelated, okay? And, and the, the problem we face as a, as a society is that our elites all have interests. People make money off immigration, immigration lawyers, cheap labor interests, politicians who want to expand political power. The people who are harmed by immigration tend to be more vulnerable, less ed well-educated, historically discriminated against minorities, Americans who are in labor uh, shrinking industries, labor dis fossil fuel industries, for example, that kind of thing. They're the ones who have the least amount of voice to talk about it. FAIR's work is trying to give voice to the least vulnerable Americans who are most directly impacted by these unfair policies. More I think you meant Americans to say the most vulnerable. The you meant to say the most vulnerable Americans, the most right? vulnerable. Yes, the most vulnerable yeah. populations. The least vulnerable are the least are the most cavalier. That's yeah. why when Tucker Carlson says, "Well, they're not moving to Martha's Vineyard, right? They're not all moving to Beverly Hills or 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 what have you," he's saying, "Yeah, I mean, they 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 sit up there voting ninety percent Democrat for policies that don't affect them directly. To them, it's about you know cheap salad at the salad bar. Well, you know what?" you're not just getting workers, you're getting people. And those people have needs. They contribute in various ways, but you cannot run a successful society through the adhocracy of chaos. And that's what we have going on right and to now. The people, and to the people who would push back to, to you and say, come on, have some compassion, Dan. These people are fleeing awful situations to come to America with hope, with dreams. You would say what? Well, it reminds me of the anecdote. Jimmy Carter once sat down with Deng Xiaoping and he said, you really do need to let people leave China. And Deng said, uh, well, how many hundred million would you like, Mr. President? The bottom line is every snowflake in a blizzard pleads not guilty. There is a blizzard out there of people who have everything to gain and nothing to lose by trying to get to a country like the United States. The actuarial income stream of someone who moves from Haiti to Miami increases about 40,000% the minute they step on U.S. soil. We can't have a social safety net, a healthy, flourishing society, and a healthy middle class. Remember, Michelle, we had a very stable middle class from the basically the end of World War II all the way up through the mid-70s when immigration was very historically very, very low. We had a narrowing of the gap between whites and people of color. As we saw unionized labor strengthen, mature manufacturing, we were the globally dominant manufacturing power after World War II. The civil rights movement happened as a result of that in the 50s. We saw this emerging civil rights movement happen in part because of the parity, as well as the effects of World War II, which brought women into the labor force, minorities and others. And then the Democrats decided sometime in the early 60s, posthumously attributing to uh, tribute to Kennedy, to open the floodgates through a system of chain migration that we've now lost control of. So there is a national conversation going on. FAIR would like to be a part of it. 
to guide the American people through this process of how uh, an enlightened Western society, a superpower post-industrial society, which has very particular kinds of labor market needs, fashions an immigration policy that we can be proud of and the rest of the world will respect. And we'll get there. Final question for you. There are some who say, hey, just legalize drugs. If we legalize drugs, this will stop because there will be no money to be made from illegal drug, you know, smuggling. Your reaction to that statement is what? Well, legalizing what drugs? I mean, the point is psychoactive drugs. There are, are there are people out there who just say legalize all drugs. That way we take the cartels out of this. Well, we're only now beginning to understand the implications of long-term marijuana use. I mean, we're Americans. We, we, we believe in hardworking self-reliance and independence. Sitting around in your apartment all day being stoned, not taking a job and screwing up your life is at a minimum a violation of the obligation we owe to one another as citizens to do our best and make a difference in this world. People who want to throw up the white flag and let young people get addicted to things when they don't even understand the nature of addiction, it's not. It's a simple solution that invariably is completely wrong. Okay, we're a nation of laws. Citizenship's the cornerstone of uh, respect for law is the cornerstone of citizenship. Pro- people say, well, prohibition didn't work. Well, you know, prohibition didn't work, but but alcohol is not the same thing as illegal drugs. You're gonna are you gonna legalize marijuana? Then where you go? It goes from there to cocaine, to heroin, fentanyl. We're gonna legalize fentanyl. What's that going to accomplish? The point is supply creates its own demand. People who push drugs create a market for it by creating dependency. I got addicted to tobacco when I was, what, 18, 19? I remember these guys used to stand on the street with packs of cigarettes. You're too young to remember, but I do. They'd say, yeah, first packs on us. Oh, it sounds great. What did I find out later? Boy, did I regret that. It took me 10 years to quit. It's a, like I said earlier, a multifaceted issue that is really distressing and is really at a level, I think, right now that we haven't ever seen. And uh, it's it's one that I worry about constantly for a multitude of reasons. So Dan Stein of the Federation of American Immigration Reform, we so appreciate your time today. Thank you very much for the My information. My pleasure, Michelle. Thank you. Thanks. Michelle Tafoya here signing off from Sideline Sanity. Be brave. Do good. Well, we always appreciate it when Charles Thorngren can join the join the podcast and talk a little money and gold in particular with us. Gold and silver. And Charles, it's these are mad times. I mean, it's just really wacky. And anyone who's watching the stock market is probably asking themselves, what do I do? I don't, I don't know, you know, I'm not, I don't know how to ride this roller coaster with everyone. And so obviously you recommend investing in precious metals. What's the first step that someone should take in learning about what precious metals can do for them? You know, the the first step, um, give us a call, right? We're, we're going to show you what options there are available. Um, that's what legacy is about is showing you options and educating everyone. The important thing to know is that we don't invest in gold and silver because it's pretty or because it's, it's unique. Those things are true, but we do it because it has the history of being the true diversity 
for someone's portfolio. It's the insurance policy against everyone's retirement and their uh, their savings. So, so this is why we look at at gold and silver specifically. It's the currency that was always meant to be, right? It's not a fiat currency. There's no um, inflationary effect on it. Gold and silver are going to be worth what they're worth. The thing that changes with everything is the amount of dollars it takes to buy that gold and silver and the amount of dollars you get for owning that gold and silver. That's the big key. And this is what people don't understand about it typically is that it is not the stock market and it is not the dollar. It's an investment that is counter to both of those. So it gives you true diversity and balance is what everyone's looking for right now. They just don't know it. As inflation yeah. gets higher, this is where gold and silver come in. If someone is saying, okay, I, I want to do this, but I want to choose one or the other. When right. they call you and ask you these questions, when would you recommend gold and when would you recommend silver? You know, that's a great question. And what a lot of people wind up doing is actually doing a little of both because that's possible, Right. But it's going to depend on your specific investment parameters. And that's one of the things we're going to do that we're we're different from your typical stockbroker because we're not going to say this is what all my customers are doing because that's not what's important. What's important is what matters to you and your portfolio. When is your retirement coming up? What are you looking to accomplish? Right. What are your risks? What are you, what are your what are your safety features that you need? So there's a lot that goes into it. And what we do here is, is talk with you. Right. Our, our big thing is to educate you so that you understand why you're doing it as well as in what form and fashion, because that's important. It is important. And I think, too, that people, people probably think uh, I'm a small investor. This is not for me. I can't I can't afford to do this. I can't afford to do this at a level that will benefit me to them. You would say what? Um, I don't think you can afford not to. If you have money saved and you're not flush with cash, it's more important than ever for you to make sure that you put yourself in a protective situation, right? You have less to lose, so you should not lose it. It's really, you know, it's not about how much money you have or don't have. It's about how much protection you need. And if you don't have a very large portfolio, then you probably need it more than the guy who does because you can't afford that loss. And look at what the market's done over the course of the year. We are talking about a situation where the loss is extravagant and it's not done yet. This is why we look at uh, precious metals to counter that. And lastly, Charles, for those who fear that a recession may already be here or is coming, what do you tell them about how in a recession this investment helps out? Great question. A um, couple answers there. We are in a recession, um, but the reality is it's not going to get bad for a few more months. Then it's really going to be bad. What we see happen next year is going to be devastating. Just think 2007, 2008, right? The troubles with 2008 happened in 2007. It just took time for it to hit the market in a real sense. And this is what we see. You know, we have inflationary numbers that rival the 80s. Um, that's something that's going to be dramatic. So when we look at this, we say, why do we want to do it? And, and that's exactly why. It helps because it's not the dollar and it's not the stock market. 
right? This is the safe haven investment. And if you look at long-term wisdom, that's what metals do. They give you a place to store your wealth without the effects of inflation, right? Inflation is good for your metals. The stock market correcting is good for your metals. A weak economy is better for your metals. So that's what it's meant to do. And that's why it has its place in the economy. We're talking about a worst case scenario right now, but even under the best of terms, the government tells you two to 3% inflation is a good thing. And at two or 3%, it doesn't sound bad, right? But over the course of your retirement and your lifetime investing, if you go 40 years, you've lost over 120% of value of your dollar by not having metals. So even in the best of times, there should be some in your portfolio. And during the worst, you really want to make sure you get a hold of somebody who can explain why and show you what options you have. Yeah, that's why we love to recommend Legacy Precious Metals on our show, Sideline Sanity. So the website is LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. You can also go to the website and find the phone number to call, learn a whole lot more. It's just worth asking some questions, right? A quick phone call and getting more information about everyone's specific situation. Absolutely. We're a no-pressure organization. Everyone who contacts us, they reach out to us. We share information. If it's right for you, great. If it's not, that's great too. Learning something never hurt anybody. No, that is true. And we're <laughs> glad we had you on to learn something from you today, Charles Th Thorngren. Again, it's LegacyPMInvestments.com. Please go check them out. Just ask some questions. Learn a little something. Thank you so much, Charles. My pleasure. Thank you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.